Welcome to Between Lewis and Lovecraft. I'm Hannah. And I'm Tyler. We're here to learn more about the lives of authors that have inspired us. A journey into the stories they not only created, but also lived. So join us as we dive deep into the worlds that live just out of reach. What's that up there? It's a bird. It's a plate. Oh, wait, that's DC. Flip. <laughs> I was like, I thought this is Superman, not Spider-Man. <laughs> it's a bird. It's a plane. It's a much better comic book creator, Stan Lee. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to Between Lewis and Lovecraft. I'm Tyler Clawson, and I do know the difference between Marvel and DC Comics. I was going to say, I'm counting on you to, to make that distinction. <laughs> yeah. I'm Hannah Ray Lambert, and uh, I don't really know anything about comics. You know books. something now, now. Now I know. I know like 500% more than I knew 500%? two weeks ago. Okay. Yeah. I'll give you that. We're also recording this as a video. It's not something that we do very often, so I'm going to be very awkward and do like a gym look. <laughs> <laughs> a little comment. <laughs> Please make memes out of it, guys. Please. If I could become a living meme, I would be okay with that. Um, today we are talking about Stan Lee, and I'm super duper excited. As you can see, I have not prepared anything on, on my end except for this mug and all of my comic books. These are not all of my comic books, by the way. All of my comic books are in that direction on a bookshelf. Uh, these are just some of my favorites, and they're all Stan Lee created content. Not specifically written by Stan Lee, but Spider-Man, Daredevil, X-Men. Those, those are the ones. His brain children. Yeah. And then right there is Captain America. <laughs> it's a good collection. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then I got my video game over there. The, oh, the, the Marvel superheroes! Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. My arcade setup. Yeah, this is a very Stan Lee themed room. Oh, yeah. and you've got like a Stan Lee uh, table over there. Yeah, we've got a table that we bought from a uh, a bar that went out of business a couple weeks ago. Unfortunately, with coronavirus, and they got hit pretty hard, so we bought one of their handmade tables with real comic books inside of it. What? Those are real comic books? That mm -hmm. almost seems like sacrilegious. To I mean, there's a, a table there's a them. lot like. In the 90s, late 80s, early 90s, like comic books were in such demand, like millions of them existed. So if it was like rare, golden <laughs> era, 1940s, then yes. You'd be like, how could you do this? The person would be burned at the stake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, comic book uh, nerds take this stuff seriously. Yes, they do. They, they do. really do. And then I got all of, all of my poster things up there, which... Uh, they're not all Marvels. A lot of them are DC. We got Batman. Uh, we got Flash um, stuff. So yeah, I'm, I like comic books. I, what I'm trying to address here is that I like comic. You do, books. and I think Stanley had an influence on the whole industry. He he yeah. also he, he also he revived it. <laughs> he also wrote for DC, mm -hmm. which is a fun fun little fact that I didn't know about before I started researching this. We're so, going to have lots of those fun little facts. <laughs> <laughs> so, Hannah, what was um, – have you ever read a comic book? Probably not. Like ever? No. Well, I don't know. I've seen them. 
I maybe picked one up and like looked inside. I don't uh-huh. think I've ever read one from start to finish. What is it about a comic book that you're like, meh? I don't know, because it seems like I should love them because I love art and pictures and I love books and words and it puts them together. Yeah. But somehow it's just hard for me to get into it. Maybe it's like too much yeah. visual stimulation. Well, and a lot of people, I mean, obviously there's the superhero genre of comic books, but that's not even where comic books started, right? Like you had a lot of horror stories, westerns, um, army stuff, all, all kinds of stuff. Um, and so like we think of comic books and we automatically think Superman, Spider-Man, Batman, Captain America, when it's actually such a, a huge range of storytelling that um it's it's kind of sad how bogged down it gets in superheroes right and i mean do they still make as many comic books in the other genres now as they used to because i know i saw that stan lee did do some of the westerns and horror comic books do they still do that as much because i feel like all i ever see are superhero comics sure i'm not gonna say (laughs) definitively no they don't uh because i could be very wrong um what I will say is it's not what I see on the shelves mm-hmm. as much. Um, obviously, superheroes are the number one thing that, that you see on the shelves. I think that every once in a while you'll see a Western come through, like maybe The Lone Ranger is a comic book that probably still goes on. But that's because it has a name with it. It has a lot of weight to like its fandom. You don't see a lot of Western stories that just come out like, oh, here's the bucking cowboy is like, oh yeah, brand new Western book. I want to read that. Like you, you just don't see that. Um, a lot of horror is still being done. Um, that it, makes sense. The yeah. the like lock and key or whatever lock by and Stephen King's yeah. son. Yeah. yeah, that's a that's a big one. There's there's a lot of other ones. You get a lot of sci-fi and a lot of fantasy. Um, I have I did I actually did. During the beginning of Corona, I did a series of Instagram photos of some of my favorite fantasy ones. Um, so that's pretty popular. Um, and then sci-fi is really popular too. I, th- I think a, a lot of mine are sci-fi that I collect. I just and, it, and it's weird because I don't go out of my way to read a lot of sci-fi books. Mm. But comic books I like because like when you're describing a giant frigate spaceship <laughs> going over the moons of Endor and stuff and I'm like all right let's let's move on but the second you draw it I'm like yes yes please this is beautiful in fact this tattoo is from an actual sci-fi comic book from uh, a guy down in Peru which when I saw the cover of his comic book I was like this is beautiful. I love this so much. And it speaks to me. It resonates with me. So I went and got it tattooed. You're like, I got to get this on my body. Yeah. <laughs> I need it on me forever. <laughs> <laughs> no, that does make a lot of sense, especially with the, the sci-fi and horror stuff, because then you can actually like see it. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's fun to imagine it with the words describing sure. stuff. But sometimes it's just a lot easier to see a picture of the spaceship or the monster that's being described. Yeah. So if you if I if I start pushing you to read a comic book, what comic book do you think like what genre do you think you'd be willing to jump into Ooh, that's a good question Which you lied you just lied by the way you have read oh a comic sorry book. yeah the one comic book i read was um nimona yeah yeah and that was good i'd probably be more i don't really like heroes gotta right be, gotta be honest I'm not well, a but hero that, and that was a good one because it was it she was, was like an anti-hero, anti-hero. Yeah. the bad guy was kind of a good guy and the good guy was kind of a bad guy so that was that was a really good one I'd maybe like the horror genre. Yeah? Yeah. 
All right, I might have to try and find. I feel like some that horror would have stuff. like some good creepy pictures and stuff. Yeah, uh, Dark Horse does a lot of creepy stuff. Dark Horse is actually based in Milwaukee too. Are they really right up the street? What? Yep. I feel like I knew they were from the Northwest, but I didn't know they were that close. Yeah, man. I tried to sell some comic books to them when I was like, I'm going to be a comic book writer. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so today we are talking about Stan Lee. Let's get on to Stan Lee. Stan Lee, the Stan the man. Yeah. <laughs> the nickname that I now feel comfortable <laughs> using. <laughs> so um, Stan Lee was born December 28th, 1922 in the apartment of his Romanian-born Jewish immigrant parents, mm-hmm. Celia Solomon and Jack Lieber. So his name was not Stan Lee. It was Stan Martin or Stanley Martin Lieber. Yeah. Did, were you going to explain why he changed it? I was going to do that later. Okay, yeah, yeah. I just want to make sure. So um, he grew up with one younger brother named Larry, which Stanley Lieberman and Larry Lieberman, there's just a lot of ease going on here. Yeah. <laughs> um, and his parents, so he was growing up in like the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. And his dad was trained as a tailor, but basically never had a job during the Great Depression. Real quick, uh, let's go over, because I know it's it's kind of important to some people. Let's go over how you got this information. Where where did you? Oh, I mean, I watched the um, documentary With Great mm-hmm. Power. Yep. And listened to uh, an episode of Marvel Universe. Right. Uh, podcast when they talked about uh, after his death, mm-hmm. they were talking about Stanley, and then the rest was because the documentary it was really good, but it also doesn't do like dates or anything. Sure, and it glosses over a lot yeah. of stuff too. So that was mostly cobbled together from internet biographies, being like, okay, yeah, this was in the documentary. Mm-hmm. This is when it happened. Like, yeah, and yeah. that. So I watched that as well, and I also read one of the books that you might be able to see right in the middle there. Boop. Um, it's called Amazing, Fantastic, Incredible. And it's just the life of Stanley. It was written in 2015, so it was before he died. Mm. Um, so you get a lot of his voice because it's a memoir. He wrote it. Um, so that's that's pretty good. That's cool. And I love that it's a comic book memoir. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't know it. When I picked it up, I was, I was so excited to find out it was a comic book because I thought it was just a memoir. I just thought he had always wanted to write novels. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, oh, this is his chance to write a novel. No, it's just another comic book. <laughs> just another comic book. <laughs> Stick with what you know. But yeah, uh, as a kid, what surprised me was that he grew up watching TV and wanting to be an actor all the time, which is, I think, typical for kids. But then it played into his life later on and some of his motivations later on. Um, But we'll get to that. So yeah, grew up pretty pretty poor during the Great Depression. Um, Stan had to work part-time for most of his childhood, just Mm -hmm. odd jobs to help support his family. Um, Yeah, because his dad was out of work all the time. Constantly. Yeah. He was like a tailor or something like that. He was trained to be a tailor, but... I guess was not getting a lot of jobs doing that. Right. Um, so yeah, so he, he didn't have any higher education. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I guess getting right into his early career cause he has such a long career. Yeah. Um, he, his first like foray into comics was at the age of 18. He became an assistant at, um, the timely comics division mm-hmm. of, uh, pulp magazine and comic book publisher, Martin Goodman's company. Mm-hmm. Um, and, at some point in there, he actually got a chance to kind of write some filler comic yeah, so, books. So in order to fill a specific tax um, point as a company, mm-hmm. um, as what Timely wanted to be established at, they had to have um, two-page prose within a certain amount of magazines. And nobody wanted to write it because they were all writing comic books. So 
Stan is, you know, just kind of hanging out, filling ink wells. He's running around getting biscuits and things for people, like just doing what odd jobs and stuff. And um, and they love him, you know, and, and so they're like, hey, well, you know, if you want, you can write a two page prose for Captain America. Yeah. You know, and, and he he jumped on that and he wrote the traitor's revenge. Yes. Captain America foils the traitor's revenge. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. So this is where he changes his name. He uses Stan Lee as his name because he wanted to save his full name mm-hmm. for when he writes the great American, American novel, novel down the yep. road. He was like, I'm not going to waste my name on this. <laughs> <laughs> this is some little thing that nobody's going to yeah, care about. Yeah. Famous last words. Um. So, yeah. And I mean, this was an, a really important stepping stone for him, especially because this is where he met Jack Kirby. Yes. Um. And I, I don't know if you want to go into more of that during their time at timely comics or uh i mean jack kirby and and stanley really they created a relationship that that was capable of creating the future of comic books you know it, it was um jack kirby was a master artist and um if we were more of an art podcast i would have pushed for us to try and do an episode on him um but <clears throat> But we're not. We're yeah. we're writers and stuff. So Stanley kind of fits our forte. So, oh, that was a weird sound. Did you hear that? I did. I don't know where that came from. Me either. <laughs> Hopefully uh, not from the system. Um, but we just looking at how they they started working and watching as Jack Kirby kind of. I don't know. I wouldn't say groomed Stanley to become the the writer that he is, but I think allowed him to do it the way he wanted to. And it's it's why we got the comic books that we did from him, because he was a lot more free form. He wasn't he wasn't too busy worrying about what's the right way to do it. He wants to do it the way he wants to do it. So that's what I got out of it. Gotcha. So before too long, the editor of um, of the Timely Comics division, um, as well as Jack Kirby, left the magazine mm-hmm. uh, because they had a fight with the publisher. Yeah. And so the publisher made Stan, mm-hmm. who was still 18, the interim editor. Was he still 18 at so that time? So I, I got he was 17 when he started oh, okay. uh, as an assistant. So he was still 18 when he became the interim editor. Right, right. So interim forever. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> he goes from basically being an intern. Yeah. To editor. To guy in charge. To guy in charge in yeah. about a year. Yeah, man. It was nuts. And I mean, that's that's the break for him. You know, and I mean, he gets there's a couple more in his life, but that's it. And it's so interesting, you know, as a as a writer myself and someone who who wanted to write comic books, he still does want to write comic books. Like I'm 31 years old and I'm still waiting for my break. I don't think every or I don't think anyone <coughs> should try to compare their career path to Stanley because it just <laughs> seems to be on an unstoppable upward path. And I think he was getting into it at a good time, too, because comics weren't like as big of a thing as they are right. now it like you couldn't be a 17 year old right now and like be, be writing, writing captain comic. america yeah. yeah because they weren't taken seriously yeah. they were kids literature and that was it mm-hmm. like they especially back then you know now we think of comic books and it's oh you know when's the next movie coming out when how much money are they how many billions of dollars are they going to make off of that movie you know, Captain America's got a beard now, and like we're <laughs> we're all excited about it. But back, it'd be it's children's literature back then. It's something for a seven year old to read, while his parents are off 
doing stuff. I don't know. <laughs> Except even even in that context, like I don't know it, how far you got into like all of the drama with censorship and stuff. And oh, we'll get to that. Yeah. We're not even close to that. We'll yet. get to there. Um, so while he was writing all of these these uh, Captain America installments, uh, Stan said later that he got like inspired mm-hmm. and decided hey captain america's over there fighting nazis i should be over there too yeah so he enlisted in the army yep um and i mean it's not like he was enlisted as a typical soldier he was one of nine people in the army with the title of playwrights at playwright. the time well at first he went in <clears throat> so he he joined um, because he thought it was hypocritical for him to write comic books about Captain America to inspire people to go and fight for America and for him not to contribute, right? Which, dude, that's such a cool stance That's to take. some principles. That's <laughs> some – and if if anything, he's a man of principle. Um, and so, uh, you know, you got to give it to him for being like, look, I can sit here and, and write all day if I wanted to and be comf- comfortable – but he decided, no, nah, I'm I'm not going to do that. And they put him out, they put him out as a as a night guardsman. Oh, okay. And he just stood out watching the ocean. That was it. That's how he started in in the military, just watching the ocean to make sure the the Nazis didn't come across the Atlantic and you know invade. And then it wasn't until they found out that he was a writer that he got. Uh, put into the playwright uh, department or whatever yeah. it is. At one point he was fixing like um, communications equipment too, like signal poles and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they moved him over to playwright. So basically he would like go around uh, to different camps and stuff, writing like kind of writing like instruction manuals and things, stuff, yeah. uh, pamphlets. <clears throat> um, and interestingly, like a lot of other people who would go on to be prominent writers and creators were also playwrights including most notably dr seuss yep was one of them yep. uh, there were a couple others uh frank kappa yeah frank kappa uh but yeah like or frank frank capra sorry sorry yes, I'm, I'm <laughs> i was like i i recognize the name but i was like uh yeah dr seuss was, was the one <laughs> that i was like are one. you kidding oh, me <laughs> hey that was stanley stanley yeah, yeah man so uh, the it, difference being that Stanley actually liked his audience. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Seuss did not. <laughs> we'll do a Doctor Seuss episode eventually. Oh, you did it this time. Oh yeah, Boom. finally. We're we're uh, scheduling ourselves out to like 2025 at this point. <laughs> okay, Jim. <laughs> I got to do more Jim's Jim shots. <laughs> so uh, so yeah, so. I don't know. I didn't really see how long he was in the army for. The documentary like lost over it does exact because it, length he, of time. that's how he spent his time in in the military is just writing things, you know, um, programs and stuff. The big thing that he's really known for is doing a poster. Did you see this? No. <clears throat> he did a poster because um, the military was getting irritated at how many of their men were going off to lay with women and then they would get venereal diseases oh okay yeah i did hear about this but i didn't see the poster yeah so he so there is a poster and it's basically like this this dorky looking dude you know this dorky looking soldier and then this really hot chick behind him and she's all up against a pole and it says you know make sure you visit the vd before you or after your visit or something like that oh god and it's just like super simple but it like it helped them it, he did such good work for them, and it was like all 
off the cuff, just like, hey, we need this done tomorrow. And he's like, all right, I'll get it done. Like, it's it's that's insane. That's funny. But that's how the military, that, like, that was his big thing that he did in the military. He saved America. <laughs> he saved America <laughs> from, a venereal, from a venereal disease. disease. <laughs> so, yeah, so he met his wife sometime, like, right after getting out of the army, right? Yep. Um, and Joan is just like this amazing person. I loved her in the documentary. So she was from England and she was working as a hat model in New York city around the time he met her. She also did some acting and stuff like that. So she came to America as a bride, Mm -hmm. as a military wife, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she met someone in the military and then came over after the war was over. And so she was married when he met her yeah and he told all of his like army buddies he's like i'm gonna marry that woman and they're like too late she already is married but then like her actual (laughs) husband died or something um was that what happened to him i don't believe so because there was a whole divorce process that they had to go through in reno oh for some reason i thought she said she was like a widow or something but within six months she was not married to her original husband right so so she went off to reno to go be i don't know why she went to reno but she went to reno and um and stan was always concerned about this because she's a very lovable person and she was very pretty and young and flirtatious (laughs) and so he was always worried about all the dudes there that you know she's probably you know getting some looks and, and attention from and so uh the he was always thinking about going and going and being with her there and the final straw was when she wrote a letter to him, and it started off with, um, you know, how's it going, Jim? And she got his oh. name wrong. And he's like, what the fuck? So he apparently got the first plane ticket, and he said, I want the first plane ticket to Reno. And the lady gave him the first plane ticket to Reno, but it had, like, 28 stops between New York and Reno. What? So it took him, like, 24 full hours of flight time to get there. And then the second he showed up, they walked over to the uh, – he got off the plane and she saw him and she was like, oh, no, what kind of mistake am I making that this goofy <laughs> guy is coming down? And he didn't care. He's like, we're going to the divorce uh, office and we're getting you that divorce. And so they went to the divorce office and right next to the divorce office was the marriage office. <laughs> so as soon as they signed the divorce – as soon as she signed the divorce papers, they went to the next office over, which happened to be the same judge – they, she just had two different offices for two, two different departments. And oh then there was another couple that was getting married at the same time. And so they were each other's witnesses. And each each ceremony was like a minute long. And they they got divorced. She got divorced and married within maybe five minutes. What a great love story. Right? I aspire to be like Joan. <laughs> well, yeah, Joan. Like, Joan, Joan is just this figure, just this entity in Stan's life of – movement of like i have to do better than what i'm doing right now mm-hmm. and like he's like oh i'm in new york she's in reno it's like nope i gotta get over there and i gotta take care of this right now you know and it was it was really interesting their their relationship well and once they were married she was like the prime factor pushing him to do more work to work harder because she kept spending all of his damn money yeah she, like, i love that she stuff, man. had such a spending problem she was not remorseful about it <laughs> at all and he was just like not rich at the time so she was getting him into huge debt which 
is sort of his fault because she wanted to work mm-hmm. and he did that old fashioned thing where he's like, no wife of mine is going to work. Right. And later in his life, he was like, that was the dumbest decision I ever she made. She could have been taking care of me. Yeah. She was a very good model, very good actress and all these things. She could have made way more money. Yeah. <laughs> she could have been supporting him the whole time, but that's what uh, sexism gets you, fellas. Yeah, man. Don't be sexist. Let your wife make some money, yo. Right? It'll be good for everybody. Yeah. So... I, do you want to get into some of the work stuff that was going on now, or um, we're getting we're getting into the fifties at this point? We're getting right? close to the fifties. So his his daughter Joan Celia JC mm-hmm. was born in nineteen fifty, mm-hmm. um, and then their second daughter Jan died a few days after her birth in nineteen fifty three. Yeah, and that was a huge deal for them. Joan was so sad that she got her tubes tied. She was like, I can't deal with not just tied. She got them tied and then cut. Yeah, so that. Because I guess they can, like, untie. Yeah, I don't know. She was not taking any chances. Um, But she did try to adopt, but no one would let them because she... This was so sad. She was Episcopalian, and Stan was Jewish. Yeah. And you couldn't adopt as, like, inter-religious couples back then. Mixed race. Yeah. Any any mixed race. Yeah. Any mixed race, you were not allowed to, to adopt because your life was in flux apparently yeah she's not because she's not jewish she's not allowed to adopt a jewish baby and because she's episcopalian she's not allowed to adopt a catholic baby Mm -hmm. and like and because they're mixed race like people didn't look on their marriage well and so she'd go to interview after interview after interview and they would just like dig into her life and like you know what does your husband do what do you do like where did you come from and there's all these things stacked against them, but all these stacked things are just them being alive and being, being human people. beings, right? And it's so it yeah, that especially like in the documentary, they hit it really hard of just how hard it was for them because they wanted another baby. They wanted to to bring life into the world or at least um help life flourish and the world was the thing keeping them down. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's and <clears throat> seeing like how positive they were as people, yeah. that just makes me so sad that people were so mean to them. And she would come home from those interviews like very upset. And finally, she just gave up. She was like, I can't, yeah, I can't deal with these people digging into my life anymore. Yeah. So that was sad. Mm-hmm. It was very sad. If any of you adoption agencies are listening, <laughs> what the hell, man? Um, so. So at around this time is when the CCA started, right? Mm-hmm. The uh, Comic Code Authority. Yeah. Because um, this, the Comic Code Authority stuff happened before he really started his his production. His big st- yeah. Yeah. He was still kind of low level. Yeah. I mean, was that when he was working in the the bullpen? Was yes. around the CCA time. But but there's the big story with the CCA takes place after he started doing a lot of his big stuff after Fantastic Four and Spider Man. So I, I'm trying to save that okay. for when we get to that point. Um, that's in the 60s. But yeah, at this point in the 50s, people started. You know, you had you had the Red Scare. You had moralists. You had people who were really condemning. Um, other people for their livelihood and, and what they wanted to do and, and on moralistic levels, which, I mean, we've never had to deal with that ever again. Right? <laughs> no, that's that's <laughs> over and done with. <laughs> when we do the Dungeons and Dragons episodes, oh we're not going to deal with wait. that in the 90s <laughs> at all. Um, <laughs> so comic books ended up getting some flack from specifically one guy who really took it really far one psychiatrist yeah. who like looked at a hundred kids mm-hmm. who were 
misbehaving or whatever. Well, they were juvenile delinquents. They were in delinquent school or whatever it was. So out of the 100 kids, he he discovered that (laughs) they all read comic books. And he was like, it's the comic books making the kids delinquents. Yeah, it had very scientific, uh, right? Because you have 100 kids who are in a prison. Um, and they have nothing else to do all day, and but then they're given very colorful and wonderful cartoons, and they all read it, right? Uh, and then he he doesn't go to kids outside of the delinquency school. He just talks to the 100. Because the kids outside of, of jail, they don't read comic books. No. No. They're reading um, literature. Yeah. No. Everybody was reading <laughs> comic books. It was not substantial that delinquents were reading comic books. They were just doing it because that's what they were given. Yeah. But I, then the publishing companies kind of caved to all of this fear, and because, they got their own psychiatrist. Yeah, because he – so this German psychiatrist goes and starts pushing this moral boundary, and then he gets some senators involved, and one senator specifically was trying to um, push for a presidential campaign, so it was his platform. Um, so he pushed it, and, and you know – for the 50s, some of the stuff that I saw was pretty some scary stuff. <laughs> Can you just imagine in the 50s running your presidential campaign on a comic books are bad platform? Like, is this really the biggest problem we have in America in the 1950s? I don't know if it was that comic books were bad. It was more we need to look out for our future. But I think that was just one aspect. I think it was wrong. It's like reefer madness, but with Reefer books. madness, video games, <laughs> satanic panic. All of these things are platforms for people to express their opinions and how other people disappoint them. That's all it is. Oh, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. So, so yeah, so the comic book uh, publishers, mm-hmm. they hired, like, their own psychiatrist to oversee all of the, the content. So did that become the CCA then, like, yeah, the, I think their they, self-censorship? If, it was a self-censorship. It was a, an authority – it was a non-government authority. But, like, that they but, made to appease yeah, the government. Yeah, where it's like, look, we will say we can't sell anything unless it has the seal of approval. Yeah. That way, you guys all know, you know, the kids know, the parents know that this has been approved by the CCA. Nothing's going out on the stands that is that is not good. Yeah. Right? And it basically made all of the comics not good. Yeah, they were and, so boring. And it just kind of leveled it out, and you know, it, it, yeah. It was like you can't show any like violent depiction of a crime. Right. Definitely no sex stuff. <laughs> Which I mean, like, not okay, like I get it for kids, but like they took it to an extreme where, like, yeah, you're not allowed to have people like holding hands. You're not allowed to have skin touching skin. You're not allowed to have. Like, just some crazy stuff that they would be like, you can't have this, you can't have that. And they thought they were foolproof with all of their rules. So, But shockingly, when you take all of those things out of art, the art gets super boring. Yeah. So, at this point in his career, Stan was, like, super depressed, not happy with what he was doing at all, um, and thinking about quitting. Yes. So, this is this is when shit gets real. This is early 60s. Right? This is like 1961. That sounds about right. Yeah. Early 60s. So um, basically the saving grace for his career was Joan. Joan! Joan! So she told him, she was like, hey, 
you know, why don't you just write one well, last? He comes to her and says, I want to quit. Yeah, he says, like, I want to quit. That's the beginning of this conversation is I don't want to do this anymore. I'm 30 years old or something, and I've been writing comic books for children for 20 years. Yeah, he's in his late 30s at One this of point. the stories that he tells a lot is, or that he told a lot was, you know, people would ask him, what do you do? He's like, oh, oh yeah, I, yeah. I write children's literature. Because you don't want to say that you're a comic book writer because comic books are not taken seriously, and the writers are obviously fools, right? So they'd be, or he, they'd say, what do you do? Oh, I'm a writer. And they're like, great, what do you write? And he'd be trying to like get out of the conversation and walk away. And he's like, uh, I, children's literature. And he starts to walk away. And they're like, well, what, what kind of children's literature? Is it something I've, I've read before, something I've seen? He's like, I write comic books. And then he watched them turn around and walk, <laughs> walk away. Walk away, because they don't want to associate wanna, with them. Yeah, nobody wants to talk to a comic book writer. Yeah. It's not serious. It's not cool. It's it's nowadays if you're like, oh, I'm a comic book writer and they're like, Really? For who? Marvel? You'd be <laughs> like, Oh shit. <laughs> Will you sign my my books? Yeah. <laughs> like No. Yeah. And I mean that was for everybody in the industry, not just Stan. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was really not looked upon highly. So he wants to quit. Yeah. He goes to his wife, kind and I totally get what he's doing because I've done it too with, with my wife where I've just been like <laughs> Hey, I don't necessarily need your permission, but I want it so that I can do this thing that I want to do. Not necessarily quit a job, but whatever it is I want to do. Ah, so so Joan, in all of her wisdom, she's like, okay, well, before you quit, why don't you write one more comic book and write it exactly the way you want it? Yeah. Censorship be damned. Yeah. Well, and and okay, I, I'm sorry to keep jumping back, but he had been approached. You know, you had the Justice League of America and um, and so Marvel approached him and said, hey, we really want you to make a superhero team. And he's like, I don't want to make another superhero team. They're all bland. They're all dumb. <laughs> Nobody has personality. So when Joan says that, she knows what he's going through. She knows like he he wants to make something different. So she basically gave him permission to do that yeah she's like you want to quit anyway if yeah. they fire you for this then you're in the All same the place yeah, yeah exactly so he wrote it and uh it was with jack kirby um because they had that relationship he could just walk into jack kirby's area and go this is what i want i want to see i don't know why i'm doing <laughs> you gilbert actually godfrey. sound a little bit like stanley though <laughs> yeah. i was i thought more gilbert godfrey but whatever <laughs> What I want to see, Jack. No, I'm not going to do it anymore. <laughs> uh, he basically just outlined it. He's like, I want, you know, I'm going to have, I'm going to, we're going to go back to the original first superhero, which is the Human Torch, right? And, it, you know, it was, Marvel owned that when they were timely before. And he's like, but instead I'm going to make him a, a hothead, you know, teenager. And then, you know, his, his partner is going to be his sister because there's never siblings in comic books and i'm specifically going out of my way to make a comic book that is that does the things that no comic book does so him and his sister are going to work together and then their team leader is going to be a guy who is he's skinny and he's nerdy and something that no team leader really is so and and his power is that he can be malleable and stuff and he's just gonna go by you know he's just gonna have a regular name like reed richards or something but he's gonna be so egotistical that he couldn't be called anything less than mr fantastic <laughs> right because he's got a flaw he has to be known as the best and then his his best friend is his complete opposite this big brawny guy who has to deal with his powers more than use them 
Um, and so in that way, he put these four together and he gave them all cosmic rays. And he says, like, I, I chose cosmic rays because it sounds cool. And <laughs> do you know how cosmic rays work? No, neither do I. And neither does anybody else. <laughs> they can't say it wouldn't do this. <laughs> I love that. And he, he put them together and it, they didn't have suits for the first three issues. They didn't have a name. Like, they were just they were just these characters, this team that was kind of thrown together. They didn't necessarily like working together and they didn't necessarily like having their powers. So he was doing it his way and it blew up. It seriously, like it became overnight. It was like they sold so many because people wanted to see this. They wanted to see these characters that were not just, I'm Superman and I'm going to be super strong. And in this this issue, I'm going to shoot my laser eyes. And in this issue, I'm going to use my cold breath. And in this issue, you know, and it's just like Superman, 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 whatever. We got it. He's, right. He's the best. He's never going to lose. These characters have the potential to lose. And they have the potential to self-destruct. Right? And then, and then you have Jack Kirby creating, you know, like Dr. Doom, who he's not just like any other bad guy who's just there to do the most amount of damage he wants to take care of his people and he to the point where he's he is fanatic about it he's obsessed with it and it's it's a bad guy that people can kind of get on board with Mm -hmm. a little bit not to the point where they're like rooting for him but more like wow he actually has something that he's fighting for he's not just creating a machine Yeah, I think that's something that really sets Stan apart. I mean, obviously, he created so many characters and was so creative in in just his storytelling. But also, he did something that was very uncommon by making his characters relatable. Yeah. Making the the villains relatable. Making the superheroes have flaws. Down to, like, Spider-Man having ingrown toenails and stuff. Or, like... having allergies. Yeah, having allergies. He put all these little little things that he dealt with as a teenager Mm -hmm. into his characters Mm -hmm. and also um putting his own principles into it like again with spider-man that's one of the ones um you see the most coming out of spider-man i think he i think he liked spider i think spider-man was the most like the biggest reflection of himself sure from everything from putting those little like teen insecurity details in there and also putting uh the uncle ben character in there because one of the things that stan said was that his dad always told him like Nothing else matters as long as you do what's right and are good. And you see that in the Uncle Ben character. And then, um, of course, Peter Parker makes a very bad decision with that and suffers the consequence. So he has to deal with that regret and Mm. and that becomes his main motivation. So I think Stan really did what nobody else was doing at the time by making his character, his superheroes, making them human more than anything. Yeah. And that's that's what everybody nails on the head is at the end of the day, Stan Lee's biggest characters the the ones that he created they're all focused on who's behind the mask Mm -hmm. who who is what creates the hero peter parker is the hero spider-man is just what people call him peter parker is the hero um the um bruce banner he struggles because he wants to do good but he's afraid of his own power Mm -hmm. you know like that's that's terrifying um fantastic four these people, they want, they want to do good, but they really only want to do good because they want the glory of it. And, you know, it's dealing with that and humbling them in that. 
and then Iron Man. Like we're going to get into Iron Man in a little bit, but you know, humbling this person to show, um, how to really change. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, he is all about the person who creates, who is the hero. And around this time, is this when he's also introducing Black Panther and X-Men? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, (laughs) I'm going through my head of what I want to hit first. Which order? Cause let's. So, so the story that I wanted to tell of the CCA real quick, and, oh, yeah. you know, because we've brought up Spider-Man, he's created, he's created um, Fantastic Four. He created the Hulk um, because you know he wanted some scientists and gamma rays and all of that stuff. I tried to say gamma rays like he does gamma rays, <laughs> and um, and he, you know he's creating these characters. He creates Spider-Man because you know he's like I have one that can fly. I have one that can you know, shoot fire. He's like, what, what else, what other power? And he sees a fly crawling on the wall and he's like, Ooh, that would be a cool power is, you know, crawling on the wall. And he's like, what would I call them? Insect man? No, that's lame. <laughs> fly man? No, that doesn't work. And finally he goes down the list, creates Spider-Man and, and he's, he fell in love with it instantly. And he, he felt it was really dramatic. And so he felt like he wanted to tell a soap opera as a superhero. And though, so that's yeah. where Spider-Man you know, comes from, and you know, you, you get you get that when you read Spider Man, it is a soap opera. End of the day, it's like it's a, it's nuts how much it is like that. Um, at one point, a federal agency gets a hold of Stan and says, "Hey, we want you to put in an anti-drug message into your comic books." And Stan goes, "Great." sounds good and uh so they're like how are we gonna do it like well do you want to just put it in there spidey going kids don't don't do drugs you know and and he's like no that's lame like i end of the day i want to tell a story and then let the moral be the moral of the story and he comes up with this huge story of um the green goblin like gets his his memory back or something and then his son has is dealing with the fact that his dad is a bad guy um so harry osborne he's just popping pills and doing drugs and and then like spider-man has to save a guy who's about to fall off a building because he's so you know drugged out and and stoned and so then it like starts to hit home that his best friend is also a stoner and like all this stuff and through that you know he has spider-man going like hey you know i would i'm so glad that I would I all I do is face villains you know even if they are super because having to deal with getting off of drugs would be an impossible task and so like you know you have this moral in the story with you know but it's not just this you know PSA the more you know sort of situation so he goes and writes this it gets drawn up and it's ready to go and the CCA is like nope you can't publish that because it shows drug use because yeah they're like because you talk about drugs and he's like we're talking about drugs to keep kids from getting hooked on drugs and they're like doesn't matter you can't use it and he's like look i've gone through your book there's actually nowhere that it doesn't say we can't mention drugs so and they're like yeah but there's also this part that says that anything that we don't like we can keep you from putting out so no you don't get it he's like the government wants me to put this out they contacted me the the federal government wants this and they're like nope it says drugs go fuck yourself right and he's like "Mm, okay so then he puts it out he put it out anyway did it not have the stamp on it it did not have the stamp of approval 
Um, and I, I don't know how, what happened after that, but I just thought, I just, again, this is a man of principle. He, he believed one. I love how a government agency comes to him and says, we want an anti-drug thing and he's willing to go, okay, but we're doing it my way. Yeah. We're not just doing a PSA. We're not just doing a, you know, Captain America salute with don't do drugs, kids. Cause be- those never work. Be- one, they never work. And two, that's not how he tells stories. He wants to tell character stories and he uses this as a point in the story to inspire him to tell a bigger story, a story that people still talk about to this day. And then he's willing to fight a system to put it out a system that controls his living, his everything that he creates. And he's like, fuck you. I'm putting it out. <laughs> I, I think that that is, it just, it, he, it shows his integrity that he's willing to fight for it. And, and I just, that's a point of inspiration for me. That is, yeah. Everyone should be more like Stan Lee. And then you start to see a lot of other stuff. So, <clears throat> um, yeah, throughout the seventy, the sixties and seventies, you see characters like the Black Panther coming out, which he specifically introduced because there weren't black characters in comics yep. at the time. He was like, you know what? Or there were sidekicks who were yeah. black, and so he made the Falcon. And everyone to this day says the Falcon is not Captain America's sidekick. He he was Captain America's partner, and like that. And Stanley wrote it specifically, or had his writers write it specifically to be that way because he wanted to show, like, look. They're on equal grounds, mm-hmm. white and black. Um, he he wrote, he created Daredevil, my favorite superhero of all time, who people were mad at him because they're like, you're going to make fun of blind people. And he's like, no, I'm going to show that blind people can be just as much of a superhero as anyone else. And so last week we went out to dinner with my brother and my wife, and they were kind of giving me shit about that, <laughs> right? They like to give me shit about, oh, Daredevil's not a superhero. And it genuinely makes me upset because Daredevil, to say that Daredevil's not a superhero just demeans everything that Stanley created. He created a superhero specifically so that people with disabilities would feel empowered. Mm-hmm. Like anybody can be a superhero. We've gotten other disabled superheroes bef- after that. We've got like Echo, who's in the Daredevil stuff, she's deaf. But she can mimic anything that anybody does. So she watches all these kung fu movies. She watches Captain America fight. She watches Daredevil fight. And she can fight with anybody. And she's, like, as good as them. But she's deaf. So, like, there's that in comic books. You have um, you, Professor Xavier. Oh, yeah. I mean, he can't use his friggin' legs. But he's still one of the most powerful characters in all of comicdom. Um, it, and it's, it's so, it, I get irritated at, at people saying the daredevil is not a superhero and I kind of keep it to myself. I'll play along sometimes, but it's like, you're demeaning, you're demeaning an entire group of people saying that daredevil can't be a superhero because he's blind. Right. Right. Uh, so (laughs) that's why I get legitimately upset with people. That's fair. I think, um, what was surprising to me to learn was that. Even though Stan Lee put so much meaning into his comic books and the character choices, specifically with X-Men coming out yeah. around the time of the civil rights movement, yeah. he 
I mean, that's one of the ones that's like the clearest mirror to history, aside from Captain America, which is like literally in the history, text. Yeah. Like, uh, but with X Men, it's like the the clearest allegory to what was going on at the time. Um, and he just wanted to create this group of people who were different and feared and then hated mm-hmm. as a result. Um, but talking about it later, he was like, you know what? If people saw the parallels and understood what I was getting at, that's great. If they didn't and they just enjoyed it from a story point of view, that's great, too. Yeah. So, like, I think that's really impressive, too, that, yes, he did put all of this meaning into his books. But at the end of the day, he was like, you know what? The reader takes away what they're going to take away from it. Yeah. And and you do have people who are like, oh, X-Men is obviously about human civil rights movement, the, the black movement. Um, no, it's obviously about gay rights. No, it's obviously about this. Uh, this country being overwhelmed by another country in this time period. And it's like, and he wrote, I don't know if it was in the book that I read or in the documentary where he said, like, it's about bigotry. Yeah. It it doesn't, it's not one specific That's thing. timeless. Yeah. yeah. It's about people being hateful towards other people. The mutants just happen to have superpowers and we can tell superhero stories with them. But ultimately it's, it's not about gays. It's not about race. It's not about this. It's about being good people and learning to coexist. Yeah. And he said some, I mean, just the fact that they were different was one of his main sticking points. He was like, he said something to the effect of, I think if we were all the same religion and all the same color and all came from the same country, then people with black hair would get mad at people with blonde hair and the yeah. redheads would be excluded. He's like, we're always going to find some way to be different, to put ourselves into tribes. Yeah, exactly. So he had kind of a, I mean, it's an accurate look yeah, at I, humanity, yeah. kind of depressing. but And I think a lot of that comes from when he wasn't able to get a kid. Mm-hmm. I, I honestly, you look at at the sort of stories he told afterwards, and that's what came out of it. You know, it's like, oh, you're not allowed to have this baby because of who you are. Yeah, like that would tear me up. I'd be writing some stuff about that at, at that point. So uh, the fact that he was able to take it and turn it into something good was amazing. Right. So, do we want to get ahead to to Stanley goes to Hollywood? Um, one quick little story uh, I love about Iron Man. Um, oh, yeah. The Vietnam War started. Uh, people are already hating America for getting into this war. And, uh, you know, he took he basically went, what do people hate the most right now? Uh, American industrialist weapons arms dealers. He's like, I'm going to make a superhero out of that. And I'm going to make everyone fall in love with them. And he did. Like, he did it. He took these challenges, and he freaking did it. Um, And now Iron Man is, like, number one for Marvel, Um, mostly because Robert Downey Jr. is such an amazing person and did such a good job with it. But, yeah. That I just love that he was willing to take that challenge. It's like, who does everyone hate? Okay, I'm gonna turn that around. On it's him. like <laughs> making Donald Trump a superhero, and it works. <laughs> okay, next challenge for the aspiring uh, <laughs> Stan Lee. <laughs> so, uh, so he had been living with his family on Long Island for basically this whole time. Mm-hmm. In about 1980, he was like, you know what, I want to do next. I want to do TV. Yeah. Because he'd always wanted to be an actor. He yep. was he was obsessed with film and stuff like that. So he was like, okay, how can I do that? So he went out to Hollywood a couple times and he was like, wow, it's paradise out here. It's yeah. so beautiful. Why are we over in New York? So he like came back to <laughs> to his publisher and he was like, you know what, guys? I think it, I just got to go and try to get us into the into the film industry and, and I on will TV. sacrifice yes. for the company. I'll take I'll uproot my whole my family and we will 
we'll do it. We'll, we'll do it, guys. Yeah. And and they bought it. And yeah. so so he and the family moved to West Hollywood in 1981. And I mean, he was getting old at this point. He was about this is 60? the 80s. Yeah. yeah so. so he was about 60 mm-hmm. and he is hustling harder than he ever has. Basically, yep. he's going around. Um, I What was the first one that went on TV? Was it Spider-Man or the cartoons? Yeah. Of the cartoons. Uh, I believe it was Spider-Man. Yes. Yeah. Spider-Man and his amazing friends. So he was getting the the cartoon cartoons going and he was you're so smart. And he was he was like doing the narration and stuff on yeah. it and just having a blast. Um, Welcome back, true believers. Yes. <laughs> so that was going well. And then, of course, the movies just took off yeah. once he got to those. I mean. Well, no. They didn't which take one? off. They didn't take off. They sucked so bad. Which was the first one? Well, so you had the Hulk TV show with uh, Lou Ferrigno, um, which was good. And then they wanted to follow that up, and they did a Spider-Man TV show live action, and that sucked. And then they tried to do a Thor live action TV show, and that sucked. And then they tried to do um, – after that, they tried to do some movies, and it was I, – I know that they did uh, Captain America. That was bad. Oh, yeah, the first Captain America um, They did a Fantastic Four that never got released because it was so bad. Uh, they did a Nick Fury movie, um, and that was awful. There was another one I want to say that I can't remember off the top of my head, but right about that point, we're in the late 90s going into that. And there's other stuff that that Marvel had been doing. Marvel had been dealing with the fact that they are going bankrupt for not because they're not selling a lot of comic books, but because the companies that own them are not doing well, too. Um, so Marvel ended up going bankrupt, but what they did to try and sal- salvage it was they basically tried to sell their characters to other companies. Mm. So Sony got a hold of Spider-Man and um, Fox ended up, you know, taking and the whole Spider-Man kerfuffle for the late 90s. Like James Cameron was going to try and do a Spider-Man movie that after the Michael Keaton Batman came out. James Cameron was like, I'll do Spider-Man. But it was locked in so many um, legal battles that nobody could actually do it. And so, you know, James Cameron went off and did his own thing and Kate did Titanic. And um, and so there was a lot of legal stuff, a lot of going back and forth and just kind of hiatus with a lot of stuff. But then you had I mean, when I was a kid, man, it was the animated Spider-Man show. Um, you had the animated X-Men TV show. Um, there was the Silver Surfer animated show like these are staples in my childhood i i would wake up at seven o'clock in the morning on saturday to watch these shows along with power rangers and teenage mutant ninja turtles and things but it was you know so marvel was always there through the 90s doing these different things and and then eventually you get into like the 2000 right and that's when you had brian singer come on to do x-men and then you had Sam Raimi come on when Sony finally worked out a deal with Marvel to do a Spider-Man movie. And those two movies, they are they are the reason why we have the Avengers movies that we have now. Um, it's because of those taking them seriously and finally having visual effects that are capable of keeping up with the fantastic like aspect of these stories. Um, it was it was it was game changing wasn't stan like a big part of getting spider-man to 
to the big screen like he was going around super advocating for it and i mean stuff, he and always like, trying was. to yeah because that was his baby yeah i mean he was always trying to especially since that was his job being on the west coast he was trying to get marvel to expand to other media so yeah definitely he was it was what he was trying to do it only took him 20 years but it happened but it happened and then you know you start getting him in cameos and he eventually became a movie star in his own right so the cameos were like his favorite thing oh, ever yeah. yeah and it makes so much sense because he always wanted to be an actor so he finally got to do it even yeah. if and i mean he got to do cameos that were way bigger than what normal authors and writers do. Like normally yeah. authors will just be like sitting at a table in a coffee shop or something for mm-hmm. one shot. But Stan actually got to like talk to the heroes yeah. in his cameos. He, there's even fan theories that involve Stanley in the movies. Really? Oh yeah. So in um, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, there's a, uh, the cameo that you get, the guardians are shifting through space and they go through this one area where stan lee is talking to um a group of people called the watchers in the comic books and in the movies and the watchers all they do is watch what's happening in the comic universe Mm -hmm. and he's explaining to them the things that he that he's experienced being on earth so there's this theory that stan lee is a watcher in the in the movie series and he's in all the movies because he's watching everything happen and then he's reporting back to the watchers in that movie oh my gosh it's super cool (laughs) and i love it so much because it makes him so important he's not just a cameo he becomes a character right in his own stuff it's amazing i think he's what and this might be something that's specific to, like, the comic book fandom. Um, but I think it's just so interesting how he's, like, the writer and creator of this. And that person is usually not the one who's the most famous. But, like, mm-hmm. he goes out here to movie premieres on the red carpet and everybody that's wants to talk to, to talk him. To. Yeah. They all want to talk to Stan, mm-hmm. which is totally cool. Yeah. Because most writers don't get that kind of attention. No, not at all. And, and I mean, he, yeah, he loved it. And what I also love is the cameo that is um it's a cameo within a cameo and it's kind of weird so it happens in the fantastic four where reed richards and susan storm are getting married mm-hmm. and stanley is trying to get into the wedding They're like whoa you're not on the list and he's like what the heck i, was sh- I should be on the list I'm like get out of here man and so he turns around and walks off in the comic books, when Sue Storm and Reed Richards are getting married, there's two men who they remain faceless throughout the whole page, but they're trying to get into the wedding. And um, they're like, no, you're not on the list. Get out of here. And as they're walking away, it's Jack Kirby and Stan Lee talking to other, And they're like, well, you know, you know, do you, what do you think we're going to do now? He's like, I don't know. Let's go back to the bullpen and start drawing some more stuff, <laughs> you know? And it's like, it's a cameo in the comic book that they reproduced in the, in the movie. In the movie. So it's like, oh my God, it's so cool. It's so cool. That, that is an Easter egg. Right? <laughs> that is, yeah. that's fun. Um, let's see. We're getting to later years now. I mean, this is all later years. He's like. 80 years so, old at this point so yeah so uh, about this time um marvel starts going back up you know getting on the uptick and yeah because the movies are doing yeah so the movies well. are doing well comic books are starting to get popular again and um 
And so Marvel hires him back, makes makes him, you know, like I can't remember the term, but basically he's going to be the head of Marvel forever sort of sort of situation. Um, and, you know, they gave him a, a good salary and basically said, you will always be Marvel. Uh, at one point, DC approached him and asked him to write some comic books. And he's like, that's never going to work. I'm Stan <laughs> Lee. And he's like, well, the guy who who was trying to do this was like what if we did a series of um dc comic books the you know superman the ju- the justice league characters superman the flash aquaman what if we did a series where it was what if stan lee created them and you write how you would create these characters and so dc ended up buying it and so he wrote some comic books for dc Dang. as like i'm stan lee re- rewriting DC lore sort of thing. So I That's haven't read crazy. those, but once I found out about them, I wanted to just, I wanted to look into them. I don't even know if they'd be good. I just I'm just interested just to see how they are. Um, and uh, I know, and this is where kind of my my knowledge is a little fuzzy because obviously the book that he wrote, he's not dead in. <laughs> um, and then the the, the documentary, documentary came out before he died. It came out in 2010. He lived until 2018. He died on uh, December 20th. November 12th. November 12th. November 12th. I heard it. I think his birthday was December 22nd. Oh, yeah. 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 So, yeah, in his later years, Joan died before him in Mm -hmm. 2017. She was 95, so lived a good long life. Yeah. Um, In 2018, kind of sad, he was the victim of elder abuse. Um, So, basically, his current manager and his former manager um, were, like, trying to isolate him from his friends and family. Really? And gain control of his... Um, Assets? His, all of his money. Yeah. Uh, one of them, like, fired his personal banker, got Stan to sign off on all these big money transfers. Oh, uh, no. Tried to rework his will. They ended up getting in trouble. Good. Um, but, I mean, kind of sad for the end of his life um, because that was 2018, and by the end of the year, he had, he had died. Um, but he still... Like, Stan in his 90s is more energetic <laughs> than I am in my 20s. Yeah, yeah. He was still like talking about his next cameos. Yeah. He was so excited about them. He I mean he cre- he created uh, the Stanley Media which was an internet company it, oh, it yeah, kind of yeah. went tits up due to some bullshit finance stuff that happened. Um he ended up creating another company called Powell Media, um, Purveyors of Wonder Media, mm-hmm. and it was him basically just being like, I want to create more new characters, and so that's what he did, and it was for animated shows and stuff. He created Stripperella, which is a uh, uh, Pamela Anderson superhero, oh my God. Uh, pole dancer by day, or I guess by night, and a superhero by day, or I guess by night. I'm not sure which way. <laughs> Uh, you know, he created all these other, all these other things because he, at 80 and 90 years old, he still just wants to create more. Yeah. One of the things he always said was, um, my, my biggest problem is that I have more ideas than I have time to write. Yeah. Um, and he was fascinated by all the new media. Like you said, with the internet company, he, he wanted to be on the forefront of that. And I think his last book that he wrote he co-wrote it and that's the one i was trying to read for this but i didn't get finished it's called a trick of light Mm -hmm. um and it's about some some teenagers and it's very centered around the internet and social media and that's kind of how their superpowers manifest is through electronics and stuff so he's just like so creative always thinking ahead to like the new thing yeah and beyond that um so i think that's that's really interesting and also sets him apart as a creator sure 
Yeah, absolutely. It does. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, he was, he was created until he died. Yeah. And I mean, this is, it, it's so rare for us to be able to see someone like most of the writers that we know of, they either die really young or they give up on a lot of stuff that they were doing and they just die old, <laughs> you know, and he did both. He, yeah. he wrote and wrote and wrote and he was young until he was old and died. Right. You know? I mean, people who worked with him, they always talked about how he would like, he acted like a comic book character. He would jump up on the table yeah. and he would pound the, the table yeah. with his fist and make the pow sound. And he would like pretend to strangle himself in the office in the yeah, comic when, book fashion. When he's when explaining he's... what he wants, he and he always said like, never make it dull. If someone's going to pound, they don't just kind of tap. They pound with everything they have. And yeah, it, and he he would jump on the desk and he would fling himself around to show the uh, the artists because he's not a good artist and he's like i'm lousy artist yeah. i can't draw so he acts it out and says this is what i want you to do yeah I, he was forever a kid yeah and that probably helped him live so long oh also since you brought up the artist i wanted to mention he was like such a huge proponent of his artists and yeah. like making sure that they got the credit too yeah and that also came with its own problems because he was Stan Lee. Yeah. You know, this big ego, this big, not ego in a bad way, but just. He he, he knew he was cool. Right. And yeah. famous. And, 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 and he was out there and he was talking to people and, you know, he would, he would, he created the, the Marvel fan club and he basically created one of the first podcasts ever where kids would get these recordings of him and his and artists and writers all in the studio, just wisecracking each other <laughs> and having fun. And. And, like, he was the one doing that. And then the artists were actually doing the work of, like, creating the comic books. So when people would be like, you know, oh, we want to interview Stan, he's like, well, I'm I'm co-creator of Spider-Man. Steve Ditko, he's the co-creator of Spider-Man, too. You want, probably want to talk to him. Or Jack Kirby, you want to talk to him. And both of those guys left Marvel, and, he, and Stan talks about it. He's like, I always felt like it was because I didn't – because people looked at me – and not them enough and they were kind of jealous and and he and he hated that he never wanted that to happen yeah he tried to to make that not happen but even one of the times when he and um jack kirby got interviewed by some paper yeah like they spent the oh, whole first so like six sad. columns talking about just stan mm -hmm. and then at the very end they get to jack and they like portrayed him very yeah. unfavorably they like were ripping on his appearance and yeah. stuff and his it was wife just, like, called, devastating. jack's wife called up stan and was like why would you do this to us and yeah he's like, i didn't do it i didn't write it and it was bad so when that happened jack quit and he ended up coming back after mm. that but it's just like i stan cast this huge shadow yeah. over everything even though he tried so hard to get everybody else attention to yeah um and i'm sure that was really hard for him and for all of the artists working on the on the series sure um yeah so uh i mean it, it's i can i can go on a sermon if you want me to about <laughs> do you have a sermon <laughs> i um sorry i'm pulling up our outro stuff so i'm a little distracted um stanley like i've said is one of the most principled men i've ever read about um the fact that he would stand up to tyranny the fact that he would stand in in several ways join the army go against the cca um you know write comic books that are against bigotry and and hate um he he stood up to the people in hollywood he stood up to 
um, lawyers and and stuff. He stood up against the people that tried to rob him of his of his dignity and money. Um, and and he always 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 made his wife number one, and that's what stood out to me. Um, in my life, my wife is the number one priority, um, and it's become more so over the last couple of months because I've been working out of town. Um, so I see my wife literally for maybe a day and a half out of the full week. Um, and it, and it sucks and it's really sad. <laughs> uh, and so to watch a, a documentary, uh, on Stanley and to read this, this book about him and always he points it back to his wife. Why am I so successful? Because of my wife, because she spent a lot of money and I had to get us out of debt, but that's why I had to create, um, why did I create these great things? Because my wife supported me in the comic book. She, he made sure she said like, Stan, if this is what you want to do, I support you. Um, and, and I resonate with that so much because everything that I do, every single book I write, every single podcast I do, it's to try and either make my wife laugh or to make some money so that we can, you know, go on vacation or something, or, you know, just so I can express my love to her somehow. And so it, it just, it really hits home for me. And it was, it was really sad when Joan died. And, you know, it's, it's, it's sad when a husband who his entire life is devoted to his wife has like, what else does he have now? And yeah, he had fans and he had comic books and, and all that, but I, I think he would have given it all away just to spend more time with her. Um, so that, that hits, that hits me hard. <laughs> um, and I, I just, I, he created characters that people can identify with. He created the dorky teenager for, for in Spider-Man. So all teenagers can go, oh, I can be that. <laughs> I can Spider-Man. Yeah. Has even Spider-Man has to deal with that shit. Acne. Um, he created the X-Men, these people that were hated and, and outcast. And, like, it's not hard for a teenager to feel that way, you know? And it's not hard for older people to feel that way when they're into comic books and they are nerdy and, you know, whatever they're into. And, you know, there's there's stories of people sharing with him the fact that he saved their life because of the stories that he wrote. Um, and, and that is exactly what I want to do. Um, and it just, just everything that he stood for, I, I want to stand for as well, you know, to, to be against bigotry, to be against tyranny, to be a, a proponent of, of love and integrity. Uh, I want to do that and to be able to write stories and share that with people so that someday someone might read it and go, Oh, there's someone else who gets it. And that's, that's literally the whole reason, you know, I, I went to comic cons a few times and, and, you know, looking around and I see people and I see the kids who are like really shy and, you know, they're, they're, they're not sure how to approach people and, and talk to people. And it's like, I want to be the person that they know they can come talk to at the booth because, you know, I want to be like Stanley, like, Hey, come on over, let's talk, you know? And I want to be, energetic about what I create so that other people can be energetic about it. 
add i don't know i don't know what else to say i can go on but i don't <laughs> need to go on we're already over an i hour, think you so. summed up quite well what a lot of stan <laughs> what all stan lee fans feel yeah everyone felt like you know he was the best friend they never actually met right exactly and that's and but then if they do meet him they it's just confirmed yeah. because he does want to be their friend he wants to be a good guy to them and and so i really appreciated that r.i.p stanley yeah okay let's uh end this episode since it's all sad now uh with stanley okay he died at almost 96 so yeah. <laughs> i mean yeah he and, had a and great he created life. comic books fun <laughs> for his entire com- life comic books and people can tear down the movies as much as they want they're still great <laughs> i don't know um so uh who who are we talking about next i think we're doing mark twain next that's a big difference that is a big difference <laughs> we went from herman melville to stanley <laughs> and we're going back to mark twain for our our summer serious and beach reads yeah so series. this was your beach read yeah go now, pick up a comic book man yeah now we're going back to school in yeah. the next episode yeah and we're gonna read about mark twain which i'm excited about i don't i I'm, like mark twain i i'm I, I think Mark Twain to me is like how Ernest Hemingway was for you. Because you were like, I'm not sure if I like him or not. Oh, oh, personality-wise? Yeah. 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 So I'll be interested to, to dig into his life. That'll be fun. Um. So, yeah, we're going to talk about Mark Twain. I gotta, we gotta, you got to think of like a outro because <laughs> I don't know anything about him. I don't. I mean, insert Huckleberry Finn uh, reference <laughs> here. Uh, so if you guys want to get a hold of us. I'm pointing to our camera right now. Oh, yes, you we've guys. Been, you've been ignoring <laughs> it, like, this whole time. So um, if you guys want to get a hold of us, you can um, always find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Lewis and Lovecraft or on Instagram Lewis and Love, at Lewis and Lovecraft. Lewis and Lovecraft.com if you want to go look at some old pictures of us and uh, see. Okay, they're it. not that old. We and took them, I like, one year ago. <laughs> yeah. I look the same um and uh i saved this for last uh our gmail you can email us at lewis and lovecraft at gmail.com and the reason why i saved this is because we got an email it's the one you sent me right yeah yeah uh so i i i'm gonna i'm gonna call him luke i don't need to use his last name but luke thank you for emailing us i really appreciate it it was really nice because you're one of the few people that have emailed us when it's like random yeah um he says he likes the show which we appreciate and tells us all all kinds of stuff and then he says that uh he's been trying to write and he has a short story on amazon which i looked up and i bought for a dollar so luke helping you out buddy (laughs) um it's pretty good it's a fun it's a fun little story that i and scott i'm like two pages in but it's like the moon and detectives and spacecraft and oh, elves that is and right up your alley like, it's, it's <laughs> nuts he combines <laughs> space and elves and everything together so it, it's like 19 pages i'm excited to just ca- i'll probably read it today you know nice. uh, it's raining so it's a good day for that um and then he suggested that he'd like to hear us talk about frank herbert the writer of the dune series or lao gan Gans hung. <laughs> Very sorry, Lau if or Lou Lou Gans Gans hung. Romance of the Three Kingdoms. If you're a fan of that person, I am sorry I butchered <laughs> that name. 
Um, Tyler's inability to pronounce that name is not why we're doing Frank Herbert, <laughs> um, but, just to be clear. Yeah. But we think we'll do Frank Herbert yeah, uh, definitely. down the road. So we, stay we tuned We appreciate for that one. The, the suggestion, and we're going to take it to yeah. heart. And I definitely would love to read Dune. And I know Frank Herbert was inspired by H.P. Lovecraft. Oh, maybe. I think. I might be wrong on that. We'll, we'll find that. out. We'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> So I just want to bring that up. All right, Hannah, what's next? Um, God, now my throat's getting all scratchy. Um, as usual, we want to thank Jake Basson for our awesome intro music. And you guys should know this by now, but if you don't, uh, find him at soundcloud.com slash Jake Basson, last name B-A-S-S-E-N. He's got tons of good music on there. Yeah, and he, he I think he's still willing to do some stuff if you're ever interested in getting some music made maybe for you know your, your sweetheart <laughs> you know to just kind of give as a gift or something i don't know just... that's a thing that some people do there's a, a band that actually does that really? sometimes so yeah yeah, yeah. tell jake bass and we sent you and told him or promised that you would <laughs> that he would write a, we love made song. a lot of promises jake <laughs> um don't forget to subscribe y'all we got some cool stuff coming out like like right now we're doing we're just filming this as we talk um so um you know, if you're subscribed to us on whatever platform, then you can keep up with the cool stuff that we're doing. We're putting together some some really cool extra things. Um, that, you know, it's not going to be Patreon or anything yet. So if you subscribe, you'll be able to keep up. If you go to YouTube and find us, then you can see when we upload videos and things. Which it was really funny. You did the um, Lovecraft. Oh yeah, I, I did country. Lovecraft. Lovecraft country yeah yeah and i had been like i didn't even know you were gonna do that and i had been like oh my god we gotta do this <laughs> well I, I i had been waiting to read it for a long time and finally i got it i read it in like two days are days you gonna watch the show oh 100 yeah okay yeah cool cool well i can't we'll wait do to the follow-up yeah episode. i can't wait to hear your opinion on it are, are you gonna read it I don't know. We got so many things to read. I know. We read. have so many things to read, but I feel I, like you would really like my, it. My uh, personal reading right now is uh, Mr. Norrell and, and Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell by Susan Clark. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. It's very long, uh, and it's it's cool. It's interesting. So I'm, I'm 12 hours into a 32-hour book. <laughs> not halfway there. Nope. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then, uh, as always, rate and review us on iTunes, specifically. Rate us wherever you can. Yeah, um, you know, we're, we're on Spotify, we're on Stitcher, we're on iTunes. That's, iTunes is the big one, that's where a lot of people go to listen, but Spotify, too, is, is starting to become really popular. So if you're listening to us on Spotify, take just a minute to, to let us know what you think. Let other people know what you think, so that maybe if they find us, they are more inclined to listen to us right and as always tell your friends yeah it's the easiest and best way to help us out because it takes literally a minute of your life and you never know who is going to resonate with it and really be interested you know if you have comic book fans tell them about stan lee episode where tyler almost cried <laughs> uh, if you have people who don't like comic books tell them about the stan lee episode because where hannah realized why he's cool yeah it's it's a pretty big deal so yeah that's the big thing so now we're gonna leave and you have to say something mark twain related i have nothing mark twain related to say come on huckleberry finn <laughs> no! we gotta pour down the river <laughs>
Hi, heroes. This is Stan Lee coming at you. Want you to know, Marvel has always been and always will be a reflection of the world right outside our window. That world may change and evolve, but the one thing that will never change is the way we tell our stories of heroism. Those stories have room for everyone, regardless of their race, gender, religion, or color of their skin. The only things we don't have room for are hatred, intolerance, and bigotry. That man next to you, he's your brother. That woman over there, she's your sister. And that kid walking by, hey, who knows? He may have the proportionate strength of a spider. We're all part of one big family, the human family, and we all come together in the body of Marvel. And you, you're part of that family. You're part of the Marvel universe that moves ever upward and onward to greater glory. In other words, Excelsior!